Hey everybody, hope you're doing well and staying safe. I just want to do a really quick introduction before this week's episode. Moving forward, we will be changing up entirely. This name, everything about the podcast is going to change. It is now called Talking That Trash. It is going to be Steve and I each and every time doing just that, just talking shit and shooting the shit amongst each other, calling it Talking That Trash for a specific reason, which we'll explain in the next episode. It's just uh, a little quick, funny inside story we had that's basketball related, but that is going to be the podcast from here on out with Steve and myself as the hosts. This episode, uh, we're using it over Skype again because we can't do it in person, so there are again a couple little glitches here and there with the audio, but it's very minor, although sometimes there actually are a couple pretty big glitches here, but... I'm sure you understand and can forgive us with all uh, that's going on right now. Anyways, I don't want this to go on too long. I just wanted to do a very quick, I guess, reintroduction to the podcast as it is now called Talking That Trash. And we'll do it a little bit more formally next week when we have the graphics done up and everything. We'll just have a temporary one for a little bit. But this week we are talking about episodes five and six of The Last Dance. And let's just get into it. Here we go. If you had to do a power ranking off the top of your head, episodes one through six, or just just go the three separate weeks, which ones do you think have been the best so far? Because for me, I think based off excitement, I want to say episodes five and six were the best, and they're so good. But episodes one and two were really, really good, too. And three and four were great, but I feel like there was a bit of a dip in the middle. Do you know what I mean? I do. I'd say um, the first week started off with so much anticipation and... I mean, just about anything could have happened. They could have played Michael Jordan McDonald's commercials for that first hour, yeah. and people would have been like, this is special. This is fantastic. Yeah. So the the first week was so exciting because we were finally getting this going. The second week was still good, um, but there was a bit of a dip. Yeah. The Rodman stuff is interesting, but it's only interesting for me to, uh, to X amount of time. It's like, well... I was the greatest, you know, I was a great teammate. Ask anybody. Okay, well, how about we ask the Spurs? Well, I went to Vegas and, you know, I did this. Okay, cool. Jordan had dragged me out of there. Oh, that's cool. And then I'm doing laps in my Zumbas and probably wearing Timberland boots in practice. And, you know, who knows what. But there's only so much mileage out of that that I felt you could get. And then this week you're starting to really get into the the nitty-gritty of it where it's repeats, the pressure it put on him, um, his fame skyrocketing to another level, the flaw being found by the media, um, the dream team, um, and then, you know, connecting it back to like to the all-star stuff and how you're kind of now in, in, in the hunt, uh, for that last title that they had. So you're really into like the real nuts and bolts of it. I think that people are going to just be, I mean, like I didn't move or like check my phone or or anything for two hours. I just kind of sat there and you were just staring yeah. A couple of times you're like almost like you know, I know, clapping man. your hands, like slapping the couch and you just want to get fired up from it because, you know, it's, it's great. It's I know. Too, I just want to go out to a hoop by the house and just start barking at little kids shooting around or something. It gets me so 
fired up and, and and it was such like a it really was a pretty touching start to it with um the kobe stuff and, and also just how topical it is and incredible to have that much footage considering what happened just a few months ago um and, and i read a really really good article on cbs sports that kind of dives into what the last dance doesn't touch on with the kobe jordan relationship how it, it still was a little bit more competitive than they lay out like how sure. much like you see with mike which we'll get into in a bit getting pissed when people are named in the same light as him he had a bit of that with kobe and Kobe was really competitive too and had this kind of whole thing of one day I, I will be better than Mike, but you can tell like in hindsight and as they get older, especially Kobe talking about Jordan that way of, you know, if, if somebody comes up to him and is like, yeah, you'd be better than MJ. And he's saying like, essentially there is no Kobe Bryant without MJ. I thought that was really cool and just like a really, really nice tribute to Kobe. You know, I'd agree. I think the interesting part of that when Kobe gets interviewed is you can still tell this always began with respect and um, they're still part of the same club. Like when the outsider guy comes in and be like, oh man, you'd smash Jordan in a one-on-one game. It's like, well, you're still kind of talking about like the exclusive club that like they belong to. So yeah. when, when the guy runs in from the parking lot to the club and and starts barking at everybody about how it actually works or what they think would happen. It's kind of like, well, dude, like you're a bit of an outsider here. So yeah, the Kobe stuff, I, I thought how he spoke about it was really interesting from the, he grew up watching Michael. He wanted to be Michael. He finally had his experience to play against Michael and what that actually felt like physically, how strong he was to actually like put your hands on him to see how quick he moved. Yeah. All the things that, no one would ever get to fully appreciate until they actually can physically be on the court with Michael Jordan. Um, and he really, he really did a good job describing it because if you're a 19 year old kid and you're in an all-star game at Madison square garden, that could also potentially be Jordan's last. There's already a ton of stuff that's playing into this. Then you got to go play against the guy. Yeah. So I agree with you. I, I felt that Kobe really encapsulated what it probably felt like to be a young player and you're just on the court with this guy that you know is bordering between hero and idol and player i want to chase and that's the thing like because the last thing he comes across as is like just a player i think bj armstrong says it and mj was just playing a different game than everyone else like he wasn't even playing basketball he just knew how to win he was the best offensive player the best defensive player and you you really just through the camera get that vibe because you said before we started recording of you're in this like all-time great all-star team with so many it's just a who's who of great players and then mj is just the alpha among alphas and, and it's cool to see, like, I guess Kobe was kind of ushered in as the next guy that was supposed to be that or whatever. But that footage, anytime you have MJ and Larry Bird on camera together, and it's funny that Larry's a coach, it, it gives me chills. And then you got Magic coming in, talking shit to all of them. And uh, I love suit. I know, just it's <laughs> talking crazy. Suit just hanging off of him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved it, though. I thought that footage was such a great way to get it going because it, it it really established very nicely just how big MJ was at this point because he was so far beyond 
just a pro athlete or a celebrity, like it, it might not sound that insane, but he really is such an icon. And to to go back to seeing it live and when he was in the thick of it, I thought that was that was a really cool way to start the episode and just suck me right in. The dialogue between the players, I love that they don't edit it and bleep it because yeah. for sure, like not all of it makes it in, but I mean part of the appeal of all this has been like, okay, like we're hearing how, you know, MJ or, or MJ, uh, and guys in that environment are are talking to each other, how they're relating to each other. I found it so strange. Like one, the episode five completely begins like just totally sucking you in. It has the shot of MSG. It has Nas playing and it's like, Oh shit! Like I'm, I'm not gonna budge, and I might, I might run this back immediately after it's over. But it also has some other funny parts too, like Sean Kemp's in a Cavs jersey. And oh yeah, that was weird. You see that, and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And right. Antoine Walker's there, but he's kind of like pushed to the corner where like he's coming <laughs> in for the picture, and they have like a quick glance at Antoine, and then the camera shifts focus again. Um, the, the behind the scenes talk is is so awesome when, you know, yeah. Larry's in there with the most Larry comment of all time. Like, well, we're here. We might as well win. Yeah. And like, yeah. for sure, he believes all of that. Oh, yeah. Magic's totally different with the kind of like, you know, come in and, you know, grease everybody up and talk is talk to stuff. And then have Jordan, just like you said, players around him looking at him in a different way that I think you would look at any other peer at that time. Do you think, as a competitor, when you're in that environment, you're thinking you're thinking that like, all right, I'm just playing another All Star game, like, or like, holy smokes, like this is a uh, this is a game where I'm I'm playing with Michael Jordan. Like, do you think guys like Sean Kemp or like Jason Williams? I saw they had quick Jason Williams shots. Oh yeah, to Penny. Like <laughs> that has to that still has to carry weight with guys. I think so too. I was actually wondering about that of. Yeah, obviously at a different level and degree, but as a competitive person, I know myself, I would not be able to be like, I don't care who it is. It's just another ball player I'm coming from. Like, I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd be I'd be asking the guy for an autograph while guarding him. And I, I think the same for a lot of those guys, like not to that, obviously not ask for autographs. That's stupid. But I, I, I can't imagine many people just being like, Whatever, I'm just competing against him. I think that's probably to give him some credit what differentiated a guy like Kobe because a lot of these guys were great, but they're not at the same status Kobe was. Whereas in, in that CBS article I was talk, talking about, that was a big thing, I guess, because Jordan was under the weather and he knew Kobe was kind of coming for him. And that was Kobe saying, he's like, I'm gunning for this dude. And MJ was like, I can't let this guy take me out. So I think there's a differentiation. Like you have to be really competitive and really great to get to that point regardless. But then there's the distinction between those guys and the next level guys amongst them. So I would bet a lot of those guys are starstruck like anybody else. They just happen to be incredible basketball players and all-stars in the NBA. What, what do you think about it? I, I think, you know, as much as these guys aren't normal and the lives that they lead are not normal – you still have to every once in a while have a human being reaction to something of like, oh, this is kind of cool. Right. I'm teammates with Mike and there's a huge camera crew following him around. So this is going to be on something. And, yeah, you know, who knows how if anybody at the time knew how this was going to age. 
you got to you got to know back then that Michael Jordan, if he was the greatest then, then there was going to be some kind of thing down the line where you were still going to probably be considering him the greatest, or it was going to be an awfully close conversation. So I, I would think yeah. that guys had that uh, had that human element to it of like this has got to be pretty cool. I mean, they showed clips during the, the the game when he played in Madison Square Garden in the Jordan ones. And he scores 40 plus and you know, yeah. refs are laughing and players are laughing. It's like people seem to know yeah. that like this was like, all right, like this guy is, is a, in a completely different gear. Yeah. And I really thought they lead into it so well. Like I think a, an under underrated thing with documentaries is shows in general. If you have a great opening montage that leads into a really good song or like a really good um opener it can like it just totally sets the tone for the documentary you can have a total piece of shit on a real good documentary and you see the first opening opening montage you're like yeah that sucks so good point they they added so well like cost is saying like this guy's the all-star among all-stars yeah. Everybody wants him to continue. Everybody wants this to keep going, and they just don't understand why it won't. And then yeah. they go to the music. Honestly, like, the more I think about it, I think that's actually a really important question about. Say can, that again. Skype froze up on me. Okay, I think with the Casas thing, he's the all, he's the star among stars. He's everybody's favorite in a lot of you know. If he's not your favorite, he's your second favorite. And yeah. everybody wants us to keep going. And there's this strange thing hanging in the air of like, wait, why isn't this going to continue? Yeah. And they keep adding that in there. We're like, Jordan's walking into Madison Square Garden and they say like, well, Jerry Krause said a couple of days ago, if MJ leaves because Michael because uh, Phil Jackson doesn't take, uh, doesn't come back as a coach, that's his choice. So, like, you still sprinkled in. This is episodes five and six, and you're still sprinkled in. It's like, what is this guy's deal? Like, yeah, get out of your own way. Like, yeah. the, the most accomplished coach is walking away and the best player is walking away. And in your interviews, you're saying, oh, yeah, that's their problem, though. Yeah. Okay, pal, we'll see. But at the same time, they keep talking about these things, and it's like, God, this makes less and less sense every minute this goes on of, like, what was – going on with people's thinking that's a good point i think two things for me from that is how actually important that question is that you initially asked of how are these other competitive guys approaching that and i really do think that that's what separates to a certain degree guys like mj from them is because in the first or second episode when he's a young kid that comes to the bulls and his first thought is all right who's the best player because i need to gun for him immediately that is such I can only imagine how low that percentage is of people that a have that mentality and then B can actually back it up. Like any idiot can walk into a gym and say, yeah, whoever, whoever's number one, like I'm coming for you, baby. And then just get worked out on. Yeah. Yeah. To actually feel that way and go through with it. Like there's a reason MJ got to that alpha status that these other dudes didn't. So I think that's actually like a really, really important question. And I look at myself as like a former college player and stuff. And I'm realistically more competitive now than I was then, which is the worst look in the world to be a 31 year old guy who's getting pissed 
if my wife beats me at like Wii tennis or something. Um, but to just sustain that level of competitiveness from that young of an age through till he was, cause he was 35 in 98, I believe. And the other thing is, yeah, it, it's, I forgot so much about this and being a little kid when this was going on, I didn't understand the capacity of it, but you're watching it and you're like, why the fuck is this guy retiring? Like go win yeah. another two titles. But an, a thing they also um, capture really, really well in it is there's no way he could sustain that for even another year. And I loved his uh, talking in the car with a mod when he, he he's like a prize fighter and he wants to go out on top. He doesn't want to wait for his skills to diminish. He's ready to move on with his life because that kind of level of fame just looks like such a nightmare. So it, it was really cool for me to learn more about that stuff or remember some of that stuff that it wasn't necessarily just Kraus being an idiot and, um, a quote I read about Kraus earlier this week that was really good is he deserved more credit than he got, but he wanted way more credit than he deserved. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought that was a really good quote, but there were so many moving parts as to why this was the, you know, the last dance and why MJ had to get out of there. Cause I knew MJ was famous when they were, I, I went down the, the rabbit hole of be like Mike and all those commercials and, oh, yeah. um, we watched the the uh, Kaylee and I watched the start of Space Jam, which is hysterical. Yeah, and I think that was it's so funny. It's the most '90s thing in the world because I feel like the '90s, like late mid '90s, they they thought in their mind like, man, look at all these technological advances we've made. And it's just like grainy, kind of slow motion. It'll just be like MJ's like grade four school picture. Then all of a sudden, him like in slow mo doing a layup, and then back to another picture of him and you're like what the hell is happening and they play all of i believe i can fly and you're like can we get this fucking yeah movie let's, let's get to the, let's get to the movie <laughs> songs like four and a half minutes long yeah but he was so famous and when, when you're talking about like why is this guy leaving and they're, they're, they, they i think they showed all of the different kinds of pressures and how exhausted that dude really must have been at that point i, I can't i literally cannot imagine that kind of pressure one of the best scenes they had, I felt, was the when they were shooting the the videos that we got of Michael Jordan in the '90s. Like if it was the you know the air up there, or if it was Michael Jordan's playground, or or something like that. Um, and they kept cutting to him doing the same line over and over. Of you know, it's funny you know people want to be Michael Jordan for a day or for a week, but they don't know what it would be like to be Michael Jordan for like an entire year. Yeah. And it's just over and over and over again, trying to make it look natural. They do do a great job of pointing out, like, his fame is exhausting. You yeah. can see there, there's no life. There's, he's sitting in the hotel room smoking a cigar that's like a baseball bat. And he's, <laughs> um, you know, stretched out on a couch that's too short for him. And that's it. Because if you go somewhere, your day's done. You know, you, yeah. you, you can't go wander around. You can't go be normal. You can't even probably walk around the hotel. So this is his life at this point. It's hotel arena arena bus airport arena back to the hotel or arena back home like there's just no life there and at this stage why wouldn't she be exhausted of that i mean i know they they talk about him being the ultimate competitor and wanting to play but at the same time there isn't anything resembling a a normal life and all right, you probably forfeit all of that because you're just Michael Jordan. And I don't, I'm not using this as a as a as a chance to say that I felt feel sorry for the guy. No, 
Um, but how could you not want to, at least in your head, on especially in the days that are bad, say like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, it's just too much. I, w- I want to maybe walk away or try something else. And if I'm going to be famous, at least let me try and be famous doing something different where it's not just the same thing over and over again. But exactly. even just, yeah, even watching it, I mean, it, it, you feel for the guy. And this is pre-Instagram, pre-Twitter, pre-social media, any of that stuff that would have probably just compounded it and made it worse. So, like, when you watch it, what do you think when you see how MJ handles it? I know he had his he had his media freeze out where he stopped talking to them. Um, he does get impatient, like, every now and then, but he's still pretty polished. Like, you oh, don't yeah. ever – you haven't seen anything, if it does exist, of him dropping a random F-bomb in an interview right. or, like, doing the, like, not making eye contact that I think a lot of athletes now are famous for where they just kind of look like – babies when they're getting interviewed and they don't want to get interviewed yeah exactly you know you, you watch it now and you're like man jordan held it together pretty well for a guy that was getting it more than anybody else and yeah. you see a dude now where it's just like well why'd you what, shoot this or what'd you think about the game and then they'll say well, i don't give a shit about things it's like guys going to that yeah it's amazing to me how composed he stays it's pretty incredible it, it humanized him in a lot of ways but in another way it just made him that much more impressive because as a as a comedian, most of the comics I know are just okay. That's not fair. A lot of the comics I know are just fame jockey, attention seeking sure. lunatics who would push their parents in front of a moving bus if it got them one follower on Instagram or something. So seeing this dude who's got to this level um, that's just so unfathomable. And to be able to maintain how good of a player he was on the court, which is what led to this level of fame, and to see how polished he was the whole time. And he's obviously frustrated. That can't be fun. But it, it was kind of crazy to see the difference between they show him winning the first title against the Lakers, and he's still pretty – for the most part, he's still a little bit green. And then how quickly – he became the product and not in an overly manufactured way. It's just, he had to be, he's this guy that's an institution among basketball, but you know what I mean? Like how quickly he became like a politician, just answering questions so perfectly, so articulate. And to be able to maintain that was like, it was not obviously as impressive as what he does on the court, but just how impressive of a human being the guy is was really something else to watch. Cause it, I mean, if he takes a two week media freeze out, it's like, th- that's probably the least the guy could ask for. Cause we, uh, I said in an earlier episode of like, Oh, it's, it's cool how the media is not so crazy. Like they are now. And they're batshit crazy. Like Mike couldn't take a shit without someone writing an insider's book about what this means for the bulls or something. And yeah. given the hot scoop, So I don't envy that kind of notoriety in any way. But like you said, I don't pity him either because at the end of the day, he's worth over $2 billion. Um, He's an absolute icon and kind of just an institution, whether you're a basketball fan or not. Uh, But it it, kind of just went to show he's not a normal breed, man. They don't make him like MJ. And and what's what's really cool about him is he just doesn't really disappoint. We'll get into the gambling stuff in a bit, how that's like the first little bit of uh, the curtains opening into, oh, this is an actual human being. But to see this guy who lives up to all expectations and then surpasses it, you just don't see that. 
And another thing I kind of got a kick out of is, I hope I articulate it right, but almost like generationally how different of a time the 90s and the late 90s were in the grand scheme of things not that long ago, but a little bit more old fashioned looking back now, like the guys wearing their suits after the game, they're just talking about in the fourth quarter, like, oh, all I wanted to do is get my hands on a frosty beer kind of thing. And you're like, man, is this like the 50s? What are we talking about here? But I thought that was really cool. You it's know what just- I mean? It is. Things now are so, it's just so overexposed for athletes now with, you know, I think today it would be like, you know, I don't know about you guys, but all I could think about in that fourth quarter is I wanted to get my hands on a frosty Gatorade. And like, you know, this this is a chance for me, like, you know, X, you know, player X only drinks Gatorade and only drinks Gatorade after he's completed a hard fought game with his teammates. So (laughs) everything's like so... That was the beginning of it uh, with Michael, thinking back to how everything was changing with TV. Um, he was the original brand. I mean, the Be Like Mike thing was maybe the greatest, I mean, not maybe, it's the greatest thing Gatorade ever did besides right. being besides being invented. It's yeah. the greatest thing that they ever did was Be Like Mike, drink Gatorade. Drink so, Gatorade. Yeah, so it, and it was because for anyone who was growing up back then, you'd go to the store and be like, well, what do I need if you were lucky to go to the store? you're about to play in a mini boys game or a Bantam game. It's like, well, shit, man, I don't have my Gatorade. What am I supposed <laughs> to do? You know, I'm mean, like, how am I going to stay hydrated? Like we could drink water and be like, yeah, but I'm not a wimp. Like I'm drinking. Yeah. Gatorade. So that was a very real thing. Um, it's just, yeah. When you watch it, it's just, it's so different. I mean, there would have been some dweeb tweeting about Jordan saying this or tweeting about Jordan saying that and some nerd in the locker room putting stuff out that, you know, maybe media protected at the time. Yeah. Um, the, it's interesting how they pointed out the Jordan rules, how that really started to pull the veil back. And you got more of the human thing of Jordan. You know, he's kind of a jerk to his teammate, not kind right. of a huge jerk to his teammates. He punched Will Purdue. Here's the thing. And to segue for a second, then we'll, we'll circle back around. What the hell do you think the best player in the world does? Like, this is the interesting part of where you get a chance to kind of peek through the little eye hole of what it is to be in another world, in another universe with accomplishment and mentality and how everybody loves this. Like one of the things I've heard from a lot of people is if it's basketball or if it's soccer or if it's business or something, everybody's fascinated by excellence and everyone's fascinated by the maintaining of excellence, like how you can be someone that's great and how you can maintain that greatness. Like, uh, like a Roger Federer or, or, uh, you know, or like an MJ or, or like a, a Nick Saban or something like that, where you can just continue to churn out results year after year. What do you think these guys are like? Like exactly. they're not, it's not pretty and it's not cute. And when you get into a gym with them, there's a definite chance. If you're not meeting their level of expectation, you're not just going to hear about it. Like, it's not going to be like, Hey man, why don't we pick it up? It's going to be like all over your ass. So it, yeah. it, it can tie into maybe what we're going to talk next. And I'll, I'll rant about this a little bit more, but it's like, well, shit, man, what'd you think? Like, if Will Purdue isn't getting the ball to Michael quick enough or if he's missing a defensive assignment, yeah, there's a chance he's going to punch him. So, like, that's what's interesting about this is how it was getting into the new version of, of what guys had always been like. Like, for sure, Larry got into fight in practice. For sure, Magic Johnson got into fights in practice. This, but it just wasn't discussed in books and it wasn't discussed in newspaper articles. So 
with Michael, people are not only getting the experience of like, wow, he's great, but they're also starting to get the very first versions of like, geez, the cost of him being great is that his teammates kind of have to be on edge. And there is a little bit of a, he's not a really nice guy when he competes. And I wonder how I feel about that. So it's cool to see them start to connect the dots of Michael's got some things in there that makes him the way that he is or causes him to be the way he is. And not all of it's pretty. Yeah, that's totally right. Cause I feel like as consumers, which at the end of the day is kind of just what we are as basketball fans or we're then we want the product to be unbelievable. We want to see the best in the world, but apparently people don't really want to know how you get to that point because want him to be competitive. I, I don't want him to be shaking hands with his team, with, with the opponents. No, that's not a real competitor. And then when they find out how competitive he is, they're pissed. Like, oh, what a scumbag. Like, well, he's not actually going into practice in the be like Mike where he's just drinking Gatorade and laughing with all these random white guys at a playground. Like, that's not actual reality. He's not going to just shoot with 75 little kids and yuck it up for a while and jog off. No, he's punching his teammates in the face. That's a Bulls practice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) He, he's yeah, he's punching old Purdue in the face, and uh, we'll get into the dream team stuff in a bit. But I love the trash talk between him and Magic Johnson. Magic makes a bucket, he's talking shit, and then MJ just throws all of these other guys under the bus for how weak they are, not playing any defense. And these are the best players in the world, and MJ's just saying like, "This guy's weak," and the guy can't reply because it's Michael Jordan. So that's that's the kind of stuff. That obviously would lead to that, but 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 you're right. People just, well, a lot of people just want to see the the manufactured product, and they don't want to see how it got made. It's like anything else. You go for, you, you know, you go to you go to McDonald's to get some food. And you're like, oh man, this is so good. The last thing you want to know is how that Big Mac was actually made or what's in it. You know what I mean? And, and, and but it's funny though. I feel like that Sam Smith book. That was the guy's name, right? The reporter yeah. that did the yeah. That was just kind of like. That's just so commonplace now. Uh, if you got Woj, who has you know all of his insiders and every team saying, "Oh, this guy's pissed at this guy, and this guy wants that," and then for that to come out and be such like an atomic bomb and people losing their mind of getting the insider information, it's it, it's crazy to think about a time when that's really just news instead of like, "Oh yeah, you hear Durant." threatened to kill a reporter because he asked how he's doing you know what i mean it's just it's just such a different mm. different time and, it, and it's it's funny i would it just feels like maybe it's bias on the documentary's part but how impactful mj is on everything has paved the way in virtually everything that the nba is now and, and it goes down to like his sneakers you know what i mean like they they, they really portray it with the shoes as basketball guys, we know how important Michael Jordan's shoes are. I remember being a little kid and wanting to get Jordans so bad. I remember the ones you played with in Otwell. I remember – oh, now I still have a few Jordans. Like I, I love getting the Jordan ones because it's such a good casual shoe. And it's like saying, like, yeah, I'm a basketball guy. But whether you're a player or not, like the way it, it, it's uh, brought in style and just casual and like urban culture and all of that stuff. That's just so commonplace in basketball goes without a second thought now, but back then that wasn't the case. And he's at the forefront of all of it. It's, 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 
it's just crazy because you hear this one thing of yeah, MJ was a pioneer for this, and then the next thing he was a pioneer for that, and the next thing pioneer for that, and you're just like Jesus Christ, how much is this dude going to accomplish in his life? That's a good segue into the Nike thing because it, it is without Jordan going with what at the time was not the front runner. Um, I don't even know what the equivalent would be. I mean, maybe it's like you know, I know Puma's kind of made a little bit of resurgence, but you know. Uh, signing some dude who's like not going to school and doing an internship there for the summer is not quite the same thing as signing Michael Jordan when he came out of North Carolina. Right. So um, the Jordan thing though, when you watch that and how big Converse hold was on the league at that point, you have Larry, you have magic, you have Isaiah, you have Bernard King, like you have all the best players, you have Kareem. Now you would figure that would just kind of ensure that a guy like Jordan would just sign with your company because you're the biggest shoe. You have all the best players, but clearly you can see even how that has changed over time of Converse said right out, out front, we're we're not going to push you to be bigger than these guys. That's just, I mean, that's just a no no starter. Okay. Well, that's probably going to change how Michael Jordan feels about it. And then, the Adidas thing, okay, you can't go back in time and, and ever and ever get a full understanding of, of where the company was at. You can probably look at some numbers. But if somebody didn't jump off a bridge who handled that phone call of like, you know what, we'd really like to have Mike, seems like a nice guy, um, heck of a ball player. We just can't can't put the shoe together. It's like, sheesh, man, if, if that was the call and got off the phone and be like, you know, I have to tell MJ is hard pass. And like, yeah. then this turns into what it is. It's like, shit, man. Well, thank God you signed Dwight Howard. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and you had, you had the D Rose in like 2010. So it's amazing just to see how all these pieces fell into place that could have gone another way if you played it out in an entirely different, entirely different direction. But I mean, Jordan made Nike what it is. They, they yeah. outlined that it was a running shoe. And all of a sudden Michael Jordan has air Jordans come out and it is what it is today. He hasn't played in years, and people still buy Jordans. People yeah. buy re-releases of Jordans. So it's incredible how he's just touched so much, and it could have been different, but it's not. It's just yeah. the way that it is now, and it's hard not to look at it from a perspective of, like, sheesh, David Falk knew what he was doing. MJ was shrewd, and it became shrewder in, in the business world as it went along, knew what he was doing. And he really is the original brand guy. Yeah. Like like they said, and they pointed it out in the commercial. We want to make him a tennis player. It's an individual thing. It's going to be like an Arthur Ashe with his own tennis racket. It's going to be like a golfer. It's going to be individual stuff connected to the team. And how that, it, it maybe didn't spend, maybe could have spent another minute on it. That just did not happen at the time. Yeah. No, and, and I think, I think you're, you're, you're pretty bang on on that. And maybe the best, comparison right now would be Kawhi going to New Balance. Sure. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, you, you don't think of basketball shoes. And then, yeah, sure, some people are like, oh, that's kind of funny. Kawhi's a different quirky personality. I might get his fun guy hoodie or maybe I'll get some Kawhi's. It's not what it was with Michael. Oh. I don't think that'll ever be um, – I, I don't think you'll be ever to capture that lightning in a bottle again. Maybe my favorite part – not maybe. This is a definite favorite part of the whole shoe – I think his name was Howard White, and I'm probably botching that, but he's the guy who's talking about how most dudes would get like 100 grand. Mike got 250, and the way he says, you must be out of your mind, 
I rewatched that ten times. I love yeah, that. I like it's, compl- it's detracting from how important it was with Mike, but that was just hilarious. Yeah, it was great. Um, but no, it's it, it, it's cool. It's cool to see how how culturally impactful that really was. And and being you know being younger, I I don't remember it well. I remember the significance of MJ, but they they kind of suggest in it like this is what did it for almost blending hip hop and basketball. Is that really the case? Cause I, I kind of remember it being the same thing with like NWA and, and the Oakland Raiders and wearing, um, man, what did they wear? But just like the white, white sneakers, black clothes. Uh, I, I don't expect you to be like a hip hop historian here, yeah, either, but do, do you remember it? Do, do you remember it that way at all though? Or was it? Just I do kinda remember like, the Mars Blackman stuff was very, was very popular. Like, yeah. The Spike Lee commercials, you know, money, it's got to be the shoes, like, um, same type of thing. Hadn't been done yet. Um, kind of like the crossing over of like, you know, there's a Jordan segment in Spike Lee's movie. Like, yeah, the Do the Right Thing movie where, you know, you someone stepped on his Jordans. You're getting these connections to pop culture. You're getting these connections to like hip hop and and different things like, again, Nobody was like, clearly, if you are paying attention to the Converse weapon rap that Magic Johnson was doing in that, and then they thankfully talk over Bernard King doing it, for Christ's sake, but (laughs) then Larry pops up and does his. No one was doing that with the Converse weapons. I mean, it was just the Mars Blackman stuff, the Be Like Mike stuff, the, the Jumpman logo. There's so many things along the way, you know, that people have come close to having pop culture things spike like that. Like when D Brown had the pumps in the dunk contest and he would pump up before, like that was huge back then because one, there was a basketball on your shoe and you pumped up and everybody did that. And all it did was just put shoe into the tongue, like (laughs) put air into the shoe. Like you were just going, and it would just kind of buff up. Nothing changed about your game. Nothing <laughs> changed about the shoe. And then you'd have the release valve and just go, and it would just like let out. And that shit would break in a week, like yeah. a week. So that kind of was a spike, but it just didn't capture the like roller, not roller coaster, like kind of like the snowball effect that all these things had, where it's like you sign with Nike, you have the shoes come out. He plays amazing. Everybody loves them. It's an individual brand. Spike Lee, Mars Blackman, Jumpman logo. And like, it's just all this stuff keeps coming where it just solidifies it in culture. And yeah. And at the end of the day, what, what was really, really cool. Cause we talk about the shoes. We talk about the endorsements. We talk about like, you see Tony Kukoc walking around before he gets his ass busted in a Jordan sweatsuit. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I love when Mike just says my game did all my talking. My game was my biggest endorsement. And it's so funny when he says that it doesn't come across as arrogant or cocky at all. It's just like, no, he's just being honest. If he, if he, if he had this more politically correct kind of polite response to be like, well, we're not getting the real Michael Jordan here. And that's what I'm appreciating about so much. And one other thing on the shoes, cause I'm curious, this might throw you under the bus, but I'm curious if you're a revisionist, the Jordan 11s, uh-huh. you know, which one? Okay. Do you or do you not remember making fun of me for thinking those were the nicest shoe? I did make fun of you. Okay, good. I remember at the time 
they were so different. And I think like one of my friends was like, damn, those are ugly. And like with me not even thinking, I was like, yeah. <laughs> so like that was my big take on it when I was like, I don't know, 13 or 14. It ages so poorly because now you're like, oh, man, those shoes are amazing. Would you like them back there? Yeah, that's all I wanted. Parents just couldn't more, afford it. Right? Yeah. Big, kind of, you know, like, big time like sob story feeling sorry for me. When really back then on some dipshit I was hanging out with was like, I don't like them. I was like, me neither. So I, remember, I was told they look like tap dancing shoes and just ridiculed. Because again, yeah. it's the '90s. We're living in Alberta, so if you like something that makes you really every kind of oh yeah, if, if you if you show any kind of enjoyment for something at that time in this place, you're emasculated. But if you like, then those shoes, I, those are the best Jordans, yeah. I think. But I, I'm really happy they touched on that because it, it's so you have to you have to talk about the gear you have to talk about the shoes even just that that one shirt he's wearing that just says two three on it his number is so iconic and there's so many great players like i i love patrick ewing growing up i love larry bird i'd comfortably wear number 33 i could not in my right mind wear number 23 without feeling it like was a huge douchebag statement yeah. if you were like when they were handing out jerseys at the beginning of the season and come to some slap on your team and like you'd be like what number you want I'm a 23 guy, and oh, everyone in the room God. would be like, this guy sucks. <laughs> like, the, the immediate thing would be the rushing to be like, you think you're like MJ? And all of a sudden, you'd have like uh, an argument on your hand because it's like, this guy thinks he's good, <laughs> and he's terrible. So, man, that was – I remember being – I think it was in high – no, it was in junior high because we had red and black as our colors at Otwell. And I can't even remember who did it. Someone went in there like chest out and they're like, give me 23. And everyone in the room was just like, oh, man, get this guy <laughs> off the team. So, yeah, it, it, you, you had to have balls to ask for 23 outright. You better hope that it was left over. And it was never left over because that, that was going to happen at the very, very beginning of when jerseys were coming out. It was 23 or bust. It's so like, funny because yeah. I remember so clearly when you see on your team, you're just like, all right, well, I don't like this guy immediately and on the other team. Cause it would always be like the loser white kid who's wearing a headband, even though he's got like a little flat top, you don't need a headband. He's wearing the wristbands. He's number 23. And we're all like, all right, well I hope this guy just breaks his ankle on the first play of the game. Cause that's sacrilegious. What a punk. He's one of those guys. It's like if they, even if they drive to the basket and they do get fouled, or something happens and anything gets said, you turn right to him. You're like, man, shut up. Like, <laughs> you don't even know what they said. You're like, man, don't talk. And you're just mad at the guy because he wore a number. But yeah, it's uh, that was the, the 23 stuff. I mean, real quick, the gear from that era was bigger. But man, like the, the NBA warm-up tops during that 98 season with the sleeves off, and like the little team logo right here on the chest yeah, are so big time. Like the gear, the Bulls gear, especially like sharp. the stuff these guys are wearing and shoot around like so good. Like the gear back then was was really on point. Like just the simplicity of the jerseys. Like I, I'm sure the fabric and everything is much better now, but I love the kind of like fishnet look and everyone had the circular crew neck. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what it is about those. The circular collars I love those jerseys so much, and we see them so much with the Knicks and and the mm -hmm. Bulls. I wasn't a huge Bulls fan by any means as a little kid, but I definitely appreciated the shit out of their jerseys. Um, 
Do you want to get into the dream team stuff? Because I was talking about Ku Coach with his. Uh, yeah, let's segue that way because I think I was. Let's watching. get into the dream team in a sec. Let me ask you this question real quick. Sure. This will. It's gonna because this is all tied into the competitiveness of Michael, which we're gonna see in the practice, and we can come back to any of this if you want. But of the two episodes, if you had to pick one poor bastard, who is the poorest of them? And I'll explain each one in their case. You have Tony Kukoc, who is a teenager who happens to be liked by the Bulls. Yeah. So Scotty and MJ take it upon themselves to emasculate him as much as humanly possible. Yeah. Got Isaiah Thomas, who by MJ's own admission might be the second best point guard of all time, isn't on the dream team. You got Clyde Drexler, who's playing for Portland in the finals. Who the only thing, his big crime, even though he said specifically, I will not get into a war of words with Michael, people were like, yeah, Clyde's pretty good. So Michael took it incredibly personally and decided to pretty much murder him. And the final would be the other finals with uh, the Phoenix Suns. Dan Marley, I prefer to call him Thunder Dan, again, being liked by Jerry Krause and considered a good defender by Jerry Krause and Michael taking that wildly personally to the point of I'm, I, I'm somewhere between Clyde and Thunder Dan, because like I, I said to you, it's like Homer with the Hamburglar of you're watching and you're almost crying. Like Michael, he's already dead, but just pummels them one game. And then he's just like, well, I had to do it every other game. Otherwise they might think he's on my level. Who, who would you have to choose? Of I, I didn't actually feel bad for any other than a certain part of me with Coach. but were there any of them you are just like, Jesus Christ, man, like relax a little? Or were you like, nah, man, this is what makes you you. Like, kill him harder. It really is like the Coach thing is a little bit of an exception because this guy's not even speaking your language. Like he, he's wearing your gear in war-torn Croatia for some kind of – news special and these guys are back in the u.s pissed that that their owner said this guy's good we're gonna (laughs) draft him he might make our team better like (laughs) these guys are just furious i don't and that if that doesn't say something about the 90s also too and how different it is then it's like i don't want my team to be better we have our team here and you got to support the guys you have so, like, man, if that's not a different, like, if that was now, if a GM was like, hey, there's this European kid over there that's awesome, we're going to get him in a steal, we're going to be great with him. Guys would be like, cool, yeah. bring him. It's, yeah. it's just, well, at least that would be the message in the media. The coach thing, I would have to be, I would have to be like, most sympathy of, of your list of Yutzes, he's the most sympathetic of the Yutzes because he's just wandering into a buzzsaw that he's got, like, no ideas even set for him. Um, I do like that they pointed out that he played better in the final because that is one of the lost things in that is yeah. people were like, oh, man, killed coach, totally whooped him, embarrassed him, blah, blah, blah. And then the final, it's like, OK, he played better. And Wilbon point, points it out really well. He said, like, this guy's people saying he's not tough is unfair. Yeah. Like he's, he's coming so. from Croatia. This is the toughest of times for these people. These guys are have gone through oppression and poverty and all these, all this stuff soft is not the word that you would use for no. these guys. I will say on a side note, the butchering of Kukoc's name at the time of Tony, yeah. Tony Kukoc, um, Tony Kukoc. Yeah. Like 
dudes just like weren't even trying to figure out what his name was before they said it. It's like when they drafted Scotty and they just called him Scott Pippen. Scott so, Pippen. Um, I'd definitely say Kukoc. Isaiah's like falling out of the bottom for me because. Oh yeah, he's not no sympathy. If we're getting this from Jordan's perspective, it's like yeah, man. Wish he would have kicked him out of the league too. Like it's just yeah. there's all these things where it's like yeah. If the league's got any sort of politics to it, and you even heard a rumbling of the dream team, then maybe don't do what you do. What happened with Larry? Do what happened with Michael? And do what happened with Magic? Yeah. Who's gonna call? Who's on the team, pal? So. That part's tough. Um, well, he straight up just says he hates him, and he doesn't even use it in past tense. I know. No matter how much I hate him. I found this interesting because I'm not being like, oh, MJ's lying. I'm not a body language expert. I just thought it was interesting because he's so confident, obviously, because he's Michael Jordan. But everything he, he says is so honest. But his body language changes slightly when, when he says the like I, I didn't use Isaiah Thomas's name. Like the way he closes his eyes and kind of looks away, I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Like it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the narrative for me at all. But the two times his body language change is when he talks about that and when he talks about his gambling, which we'll get into later. Like he kind of does yeah. it in more of a an uncomfortable yeah. way. But again, that changes nothing for me. I, I could find out Mike was out nude throwing coins at everybody in the casino. I'd be like, "Oh, he's just a competitor. I'm not upset about it at all." But, you know, you're right. Um, Isaiah, zero sympathy for the other dudes. It's no real sympathy. Like, I don't feel bad for Clyde Drexler, Thunder Dan. I just think it's hilarious. But with Kukoc, yeah, I thought I thought it was cool that he um, – they outlined. Yeah, he got worked out on by these dudes, but they also gave him his due. And it was also really telling how much more understandably polished MJ is than Scotty because Scotty just comes out right after. And he's like, yeah, I don't think he's good enough to play in the NBA. And then Mike's like, well – you know, he's playing against These are the, the dream best team. players in the NBA. Exactly. Like, so it, it was really funny to see how much of an institution MJ already was that you could tell he's trained to like say the right things and say a, a more of but a But that politically, was the truth, though. It was. There's a, yeah. there's a big difference with playing against Scottie Pippen at the Olympics yeah. and playing against like Derek Coleman on a back to back with New Jersey after he's been out, you know, eating in and out the entire night. So, I mean, <laughs> like, there's a big, big difference to that. Um, I did like that they gave him his due, though, that they didn't just keep it as like they destroyed Tony Kukoc and, you know, were contributors to the civil war in Yugoslavia. That it, was, it was so violent. And, you know, that kind of like ESPN first take Max Kellerman shit. So I think uh, that was good to see the Clyde thing. It was like the funny thing about Clyde. And why I don't feel sorry for the guy, even though he was a fantastic player, and he actually played well in that series, um, is Clyde always did have that weird thing going for him, remembering how it was. We never saw Portland play because their games were just never on TV, and if they were, we just didn't get them up here. And two, there was always this weird thing back then in the media of just like, guys, you know, there's a reason that Portland didn't take Michael. They already had Michael. And, you know, right. they, you know, they took Sam Bowie because they needed a big. Well, that worked out great. But <laughs> on the other side, it was also like there was this Pacific Northwest MJ and yeah. we just didn't see him. And it was like, that can't be right. Like, that just can't be right. So I could see. And then Clyde never answered that well after. There were a bunch of interviews that he did after where guys would ask him about Michael and he wouldn't say and I get it, it's a competitor in him, but he wouldn't just flat out say, he'd be like, yeah, man, I'm good at him. I just don't have the rings he does. Well, that's a stupid answer. You know, it's just, yeah. it was one of those things. And then Thunder Dan, 
<laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do, man? Like Thunder <laughs> Dan, he's like the prototypical what you would think of now of like the three and D guy. He was a good yeah. defender. The guy was like an all defensive player, and he's just getting murdered when you watch any of this stuff back. Like Jordan's just blowing by him. And it's funny because all that comes from the Bulls liked him years prior and didn't draft him. Like this pisses you off. It's just (laughs) (laughs) zero impact. on. And I'm glad you said about Drexler because a thing I also thought was really cool because you don't see this specifically from former NBA players much is how Barkley just flat out said, I played as well as I could have. Michael played better. It's the first time in my life, essentially realizing there was a better player than him because now all you hear and there's good and bad in this is when, when it's Shaq coming out like, Oh yeah, my, my team from 04 would have killed those bulls. Like shut the fuck up. But you can't, what makes them so great is how competitive they are. And you can't turn that off even as they get older, but it doesn't age well. It just makes them look like bitter geezers. Whereas it was cool to see a dude like Barkley who, could be the very bitter vet that did never never want to chip and is pissed about it. Just flat out saying like, "Yeah, dude was better than me." I, I really I really liked that, and it was it, it was cool to see, and and it's cool to see. Um, I love the clip. This is a good segue of the MJ going at Magic in the Dream Team practice. Um, it's not a gripe. My, I feel like they kind of repeated the passing of the torch thing because they say when the Bulls beat Magic. Magic's mm-hmm. Lakers in 91, like that was the clear passing the torch. And then this, they kind of just restate the exact same thing of this is when we knew Michael had surpassed Magic. And it's like, all right, you kind of already said that, but whatever. This is really cool, really cool footage. I'm more than willing to look past that. Um, I just thought it was almost kind of funny how they're like, what was the best part about the Olympics? And I would imagine for most people, it'd be like the experience, getting to compete, representing my country. And Michael's thing is the practices. That was the best thing. And, and, and it makes sense because they're killing everybody. And other than Christian Leitner, what a fucking great team. And just a who's who. You got guys like David Robinson and Malone. And they don't even get mentioned because you guys, you got guys like Magic and MJ going at each other. And just the shit talk was so cool. It's so cool to see these two alphas going at each other and you see it in like regular season NBA stuff too. And and I know contextually times are just different, but again, you won't see that now or it can't happen because the media will completely blow it out of proportion. But that, that was really, really, really fucking cool to see for me. What did you make of the dream team uh, segments? I thought um, it was again, a reflection of the times. I think what they pointed out about, the like kind of the second lap of passing of the torch is what I took from it was the personality part of it, how magic was still like kind of the statesman, what he said goes and how he said it was just how everybody else was going to have to accept it. And then all of a sudden Jordan comes through and it's like, okay, he's obviously the best player, but now also too, whatever he says, everybody else comes after him. So I I felt that they were more expressing of just like, we got all these guys in one room now. Who's the guy that calls the shots? And it clearly was at some point, everyone just figured out like, well, it's just MJ. It's just the way that it is. Um, The scrimmage is hard to imagine happening it now without it turning into just like a glorified jerk fest where guys, 
in the way that the scrimmage is talked about, like it's hard to imagine someone throwing a ball into the stands. It's hard to imagine um, there any there being too much physicality stuff because of the you know what if somebody gets hurt. Right. Um, the things that just weren't taken into consideration back then as much because like you also have the leader of the team is maniacally competitive and he wants to probably kick everybody's ass. So the pace that he wants to go at is the pace that they're going to play at. Right. So if Jordan's like, no, we're scrimmaging today and we're going hard, it's not like Coach K is going to step in and say, well, I don't know about that, guys. What about load management? So, I mean, there's that part of it. Quick tangent on that. Please. When they talk about that environment and you watch and you get like everybody else who watches it, the goosebumps from it, um, the trash talk that for sure they leave some stuff out um, and how that's just such a different universe. It's cool that they show it. It's difficult for it to be done justice of just how tough it would be to be in a gym like that, where you're with these guys that are bordering on insane and think that you can actually like hold your ground. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of guys who, who, who watch it that, that love it. Everybody loves everybody watches it, loves it. It's a great part of it. And you always got to wonder how the guys feel. It's just be like, man, that's where I thrive. Like, that's where I'm at my best. And you'd be like, man, <laughs> if you even got admittance to a gym like that, one, you wouldn't touch the ball. Two, you, let's go back. One, you probably wouldn't get in the run. Two, you wouldn't touch the ball. And three, like, that's just such a different world that is why this kind of documentary is great is it shows through a people just how cutthroat this world is, just how difficult it is to be around these guys and still maintain confidence to still be, to still have the edge and not have it taken away from you. Um, yeah, I thought it was, it was a great snippet to show this is just another universe. These guys operate yeah. on, on a different level. It's not like going to play open gym. It's not like the time you went and got this run and some guy called you a punk and you had a little back and forth. It's not the same yep. thing at all. This is high level basketball and like the highest level trash talk trying to psych you out any yeah. advantage I can get over you kind of stuff. It's not running at the rec center. It's not. Yeah, man. No, I'm so glad you said that because I feel it does a complete disservice to what the documentary is about and who's in the documentary when you liken it to yourself. Like, I think there's a way you can do that. Like I was actually talking to some friends last night and we were, they, we were saying like they're rugby players, but they're saying we've all to our own degree played at a competitive level. And there's something to be said for sometimes in a practice that is when you are your most competitive because sure. there's kind of like some pent up resentment towards teammates or whatever you want to prove something. And there's things that you can't do in a game because you'd get kicked out and you can sure. get a little bit more physical or throwing. But you have to keep it relative of – I can say that when I was at Concordia, some of – some really good basketball players in practices. And if we stepped on the court – if we stepped in the same building as these guys, we'd just die. Like it's not even a contact sport and they would literally kill us if we stepped on the court with them. So it, it, there's so many people for sure right now on Instagram like – Young Bucks, they need to know this is what the 90s was about. Like, this was not your 90s because you no. showed up and played three games to seven and lost all of them. But <laughs> you were barking at guys like, I'm coming for you. Like, that doesn't mean you were this dog or this competitor. Like, these guys are on the dream team in that game. 
for a reason. So don't disrespect it by comparing yourself to that. Like appreciate it, reflect on your own career if you have one. But chances are, if you're the guy on Instagram talking about how much of a dog you were, then you didn't. Um, so I'm glad you said, I don't care. Like we talk about this stuff behind closed doors of how many dipshits, especially in basketball, love to romanticize how great they were. And, uh, I, I love seeing this stuff cause it just puts into perspective and whether they have the self-awareness to know it or not, it's like, Oh yeah, that's not you, man. That was not you. If this appeals to your love of the game, that's fantastic yeah. because everybody has, Everybody has that right. And everyone's going to have something that gets triggered by this where it's like, hey, man, I remember the fun practices I had. I remember a couple games that I had where like, man, I just felt great. I felt like Mike, you know, like I remember I tried a move by MJ in Bantam that I thought was his move and got called for a travel immediately because for sure in my mind, I looked like MJ and I probably took like nine steps and they (laughs) called it. And I remember I think even our, our dad was coaching. And I think he laughed at me because it was probably just like so outlandish because I'd never practiced it, but I'd seen Michael Jordan's video the night before and wanted to do it. I think the the mistake that can be made, though, is like not understanding or not not connecting that this isn't just like rec ball where we're talking trash for the sake of being confrontational. Like, yeah, it adds to the element of the game where like guys aren't just doing the like foul. What do you mean it's a foul? Man, shut up. And then that's all what it becomes. It's not that kind of talk. It's psyching you out. It's competitive advantage. It's competitive edge. And that's what these guys were is they wanted any advantage they could get because everyone's already good. Like it's not a matter of like, oh, I'm just better than you. Okay, let's play and find out. Then it's the talk. Then it's the psychological things. And that's where I feel like you almost have to remove your personal self from it. Yeah. And just enjoy it because exactly. this isn't like anything that, that most of us have ever experienced. A couple guys that I played with in college um, at San Diego State, they were difficult in open gyms and difficult in practice. I learned a lot from them. One of them being you have to stand up for yourself. Yeah. It sure as shit wasn't dealing with MJ. So There's so many yeah. levels to it because you're right. Like to just – to be there in the first place, that's something. And then to – have the gall to talk shit. That's another thing. But then for it to be like warranted and other people to accept that there's so many moving parts there. MJ going at magic. That's a big deal to be telling this guy pretty much like when he's saying this is the nineties, he's pretty much telling him like you're washed. It's over, man. Like this is my time to be saying that in front of other dudes out in the open while it's being filmed and people not being like, Mike, man, come on. Cause we've all been there too. Like I, I, I'm a pretty owly guy. Like I like talking shit. I've been in open gyms at my level. Again, I'm not comparing it, but where if someone was to call foul, I'll feel comfortable enough to be like, Oh, shut up. It's not a foul. But then you go to other open gyms where I'm not the guy and it's like, call foul. Like, all right, cool. cool. I cannot imagine the dude who is the, who has been the poster boy of basketball for a long time. The new poster boy coming in, just tell him like, listen, old man, like it's over. It's my time. And no one else being like, Mike, man, take it easy. It's not like, oh, Mike's saying it. I better shut the fuck up and just do what he's saying. It's it's uh, there, there's so many layers and so many moving parts to it. And yeah, I, I don't want to try and discourage anyone from enjoying it because that's what it's all about. But for anyone who's watching it and just kind of think like, I remember that. Yeah, that was me. It's just or like, guys oh, who are saying now it's like, well, that's me, man. That's what I do now. <laughs> Yeah, for me, was- I would say the, the the thing that it really drives home over everything else before we move on to something else is um, 
Michael could have said all that stuff and Magic could have kicked his ass the rest of practice. Totally different play out maybe of how people felt about that team. If you have that kind of like two immovable objects and they're just yeah. hitting and colliding and MJ is the one that pushes you back and then everyone's like, okay, that, that's it. That kind of solidifies it. If it maybe it went a different way, who knows how people feel yeah. about it, especially in retrospect. The important thing to take away from it is and this is, I think, one thing that a lot of guys struggle with now is like it was words, but more than anything, it was action. And more exactly. than anything, it was the physical, actual doing of it that made the impression. Yeah, Michael was talking trash. Yeah, my, yeah and Magic was talking trash. Fuck, man, I'm sure Chris Mullen probably said something that run too. And Chris Mullen's amazing. But it wasn't just about words. It was about exactly. who was showing it on the court. And that's whether or not guys completely acknowledge that or whether or not guys feel that, there's so many outlets to talk about it now. Yeah. And it's still about doing it. And MJ yeah. says it in every episode. My play did the talking. Yeah. This is what was my advertising. This is what was my marketing, my game. That would be a great message, I think, for a lot of people to take away from this. Yeah. And saying, like, hey, man, if I want the one takeaway to be about how I am as a ball player, if I am a ball player, and if I'm serious – and the takeaway has to be my game. And usually the best way to have the takeaway be like, wow, that guy can play is I better be putting in the work so that when there's time for me to do this or be in a gym with a bunch of great players that people can walk away and say like, damn, he can really play. I would hope that would be a big takeaway from this because that's when I see that and be like, okay, that makes sense. The great yeah. players want to be great because they're great at what they do, not yeah. because they had a big mouth. If it was an all trash talk team, then there would have been a different version of the dream team. Good point. That, that's really well put. I think that's definitely something that basketball needs to get back to a little bit where it's not just like, yeah, Joel Embiid, what a competitor with all of his coded trolling tweets. It's like, ah, eh, yeah. just, just what a great Instagram there. competitor. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's actually a good segue. We keep patting ourselves on the back for the incredible segues we have, but we you, have oh, segues are on another level today. No one segues um, like the servoys. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, you would ask this, but I'll ask you of talking about super competitive, pretty pissy. Um, two of the series that have been highlight, highlighted are the Bulls versus the Pistons and now the Bulls versus the Knicks. I know what my preference is in terms of just what interested me more. Which one for you uh, kind of hits home? Bulls, Knicks. I mean, I know the, yeah. the, the importance of Michael and the Bulls moving past the Pistons hold, holds more like basketball significance because it was really a passing of the torch and it was one more step of Michael, you know, becoming the, the elite in the NBA of being the top guy. But man, oh man, like those, the Knicks stuff with, I mean, the Xavier McDaniel, Michael Jordan standoff. Oh man. Maybe like, and okay. It doesn't matter what age you are. You can, if, if you can read lips, you know what they're saying to each other. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty to the point. Larry. It's like the greatest standoff of all time. It's like a gunfight. So I mean, these guys are head to head, and I mean, if that doesn't suck you in or make you want to like, like you said before, like maybe run outside and get fifty shots or do a quick fifty put. It's just you know, it fires you up. The Knicks stuff, the clips of it are aged so well from the confrontation standpoint of like placing importance on what this meant to the teams. I didn't remember the Knicks went up 2-0. I knew that they won the first yeah. game. I forgot they won the second. 
Um, so it wasn't just bully ball. There was also like a legitimate worry that the Bulls were in trouble here. Um, but I mean, when you watch that, because I liked that Knicks team, I, I and I know you I did love, too. I like I like pa- Patrick Ewing. I like John Starks. When Jordan retired and the Knicks got to the finals, I was. 100% hoping that the Knicks beat the Rockets. I was not a Rockets fan. I, of all, like a lot of the centers in the 90s, I loved Patrick Ewing. Um, and I liked their scrappy team. I liked what Pat Riley did with their group of like, if we foul all the time and we're super physical, they can't call everyone. So yeah. it wasn't great basketball probably to watch now, but as far as between the two, Pistons, Knicks, or Pistons, Bulls, Knicks, Bulls, I'm going with Nick's Bulls, man. It's like watching Attitude Era from WWF in the 90s. It is, man. It's, it's, it's like you and Jordan goes by Starks, getting hit, turning around in each other's face, everyone oh, in the crowd standing up, and you're just like, oh, man. It's I know. Steve Austin runs in and hits someone with a chair. <laughs> it's, it's done. So it was, yeah, it was perfect. No, I totally agree because I, I understand, especially in retrospect, how important the Piston series was. But I was too young to give any sure. kind of shit then. And I, my favorite team growing up was the Knicks, probably for not the most pure reasons. Like as a little kid, I liked their color scheme and I loved playing with them in NBA Jam. But then yes. they'd actually be on TV a lot. And I really liked them. I, Ewing was my favorite player I really like John Starks. I loved how tough and pissy he was. Mm-hmm. But you're right. The, the the clips age so well. I love the McDaniels thing because it goes from he, he and Scotty getting into it. And, and they show Scotty a bunch of times with that cocky snarl. And, and he's Scotty. chewing. He's his, in yeah, every clip. Which is great because it, it yeah. shows how much he toughened up. And he's not backing away. He's just chewing his gum, which is so arrogant. You know, like someone chewing their gum with their mouth open is so smug. And he's got that uh, cocky snarl on his face. And then Mike goes to split it up. And two seconds later, he's screaming, fuck you, baby. Fuck you to McDaniels. And but the better clip than that is when Michael goes baseline, gets fouled, makes it. Oakley falls down. And then Mike, that's the best basketball clip. Michael standing over them, screaming at them. That gives me that hits the field spot. So fucking every every single time there was a video growing up. I, I will get the name wrong, but it was the first three championships of the Bulls. And then that's where it ended because that's when the video came out. And then they're like, what will happen with Michael Jordan's career now? And it's like, well, he <laughs> retires and then all this other stuff happens. But the best segment of that video was the Knicks series because Jordan narrates it. And I like they were hungry, and young, and they were this and they were that. And the best clip of how they build through everything was Jordan getting the layup and screaming at him, stay down. It's maybe the best MJ clip of like just sheer aggression and like just how like when you see him when he's all like that those guys are his friends he didn't want they didn't want him to trade Charles Oakley a few years before yeah and he's boys with Patrick Ewing yeah and this was the league at this point that clip it does it every time man you see that clip and you're not just ready to like run through a wall yeah give your wife a high five on the couch next to you I mean it's just like you know or ask your wife to play one-on-one and beat her up hard. Like really, yeah, really. <laughs> I'm forcing you left hard, but um, yeah, it's uh, it, that's Nick's all the way. It ages, it ages so well. And I also feel like they were they were tough. 
if I'm remembering correctly, they, they were tough and they fouled a lot, but it wasn't the same as the Pistons where they weren't trying to hurt guys either. Like they, they, they put them on their ass, yeah. but they weren't, they weren't grabbing guys by the neck or the head and falling awkwardly. Cause that's just not basketball to me. And I, you've said it and I'm glad you say it. Cause I want to give the nineties it's due as much as possible, but of course it gets overblown. They're just like, well, you were if you were if you were able to get up, it wasn't a foul. Like making like I don't know how we came out of there alive. Like, well, there's a lot of wide open dunks and if you came through the lane in the nineties, you were yeah. lucky to escape with your life. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's like yeah. that wasn't ball back then, man. Relax. No. Like guys were still getting to the rim and living to tell about it. And yeah. the D in the nineties was different. Yeah. It's not I heard this worded very well. It's not overrated. It's just overstated. Like yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah. that was going on in the '90s was different than now, for sure. Defensive three seconds, hand checking, all that junk. That doesn't mean that you were putting your life on the line every time you went on the court. And two, that that's just how basketball was played by everybody back then. Okay, yeah. like there were some hard fouls for sure, and guys weren't getting kicked out. And there is that part of it. Dunkley said it last week, and I know a lot of people feel this way too. It'd be nice if they let a little more of that go yeah. where players show their competitive side and get in each other's faces a little bit. Yeah. We know that era is gone because of things that just have happened along the way that we don't want to put players at risk. We don't want to put fans at risk. It is nice to see it, though, because you do remember, like, there, this is an emotional game and players used to be able yeah. to show some of their emotion. So... You don't see it's like the Rodman stuff of like throwing Pippen into yeah, uh, that's you know, not basketball. Stairs. No, and there was I remember there was one foul that John Starks had on Pippen where Pippen was going up and Starks kind of comes around his head, right, and like grabs him from the head. That was a bad one, but yeah, it, a lot of it was more like bumping, hitting, yeah, like all that little littler stuff that just agitates people as opposed to like getting up and being wide out of like what the hell right. are you doing. And for so, me, it's it's mo- mostly what makes it so great is who was doing it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not like they were choke slamming each other through burning tables like they make it out. But it's the fact that it's MJ and Scotty who just real quick. I love how much they have each other's back throughout this whole thing, whether it's on the dream team or this. Um, yeah. They just they're the top two guys and they go to bat for each other. But it's those guys against John Starks. And Patrick Ewing, they're not shying away from it. They're not sending in some kind of like Andrew Bogut's not coming in, who's who's scored three points in the whole series and then starts talking shit. It's those guys are the ones doing it themselves. I think yeah. that's the close part because again, I'm I'm not trying to make it out like those are the glory days. These these punks today don't get it. It's different and contextually, it's entirely different. But it is hard to watch that and not feel like God damn. I wish the NBA would go back to that a little bit. I would yeah, love I if in years past it was. LeBron and KD get into it a little bit. It doesn't have to be crazy. Like get into it, and then yeah, you see you see MJ, Ewing, Pippen, Ewing. Well, you got that other great clip. It's not shown it, but when Pippen dunks on Ewing, walks over and pushes him, goes start talking shit to Spike Lee. That's another all time great clip. And then they're playing on the Dream Team together. And then Ewing's in Space Jam, and they left it on the court and they moved on. So that that's tough to not um, miss that sort of thing. Yeah, but. We are definitely in agreement with that, that the Knicks series was, um, for me, far and away more significant than the the Pistons one. And I, I don't remember, but I'm, I'm curious because they leave it with going into this series against the Nets. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, no, is that like a? I don't remember that at all. Like, I, I'm sure no spoilers here or whatever. But is that like a really significant series, or is that just a dogfight? Or do you remember? Um, I I kind of remember. Uh, I think they were just leaving it as the playoffs were starting. playoffs are starting. Okay. Um, because I mean, yeah, big spoiler alert: the Bulls beat them. Yeah. So <laughs> Bulls <laughs> um, lose in four. Bulls Bulls get swept by Nets, but. <laughs> The end. Yeah, the end. Thank you. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think um, I think they just left it as I don't remember that series being like a, a barn burner. You know, the thing with the Knicks that was fun about that is that was two years in a row. The Xavier McDaniel thing was their second title. That was ninety two, and then the following year with the Charles Smith getting blocked four times layup. Oh yeah, that was ninety three. So, right. I mean, like, that Knicks team was similar but different. They didn't have Gerald Wilkins. They didn't have Xavier McDaniel. Um, man, big-time 1993 move. Your front line on the court at the same time is Patrick Ewing, Charles Smith, and Anthony Mason. Like, that's like, yeah, I mean, you're, like, just three trees. And, like, it's crazy. I mean, the, the Charles Smith clip, I forgot how big he was. In, he's in huge. Clips that he should, yeah, he's huge. I remember Charles Smith being like, of course, because he misses those, he gets blocked. Charles Smith like shrinks over the years. He's like six. Oh yeah. By the end of it, and like <laughs> you you watch the clip, and it's it's just an incredible clip of blocked, stripped, blocked, blocked, and the game's over. And the three perfect guys to do it because yeah. I'm really glad Horace Grant's been getting the shine he's been getting because. Those are the guys. It's Horace Grant, Pippen, MJ. Because for, for anyone, I've talked about NBA Jam a few times now, but it was Horace Grant and Pippen. Yeah. Because they MJ couldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. But that's telling because Horace Horace Grant was a big deal. He was he was a big part and he of that. Stayed so big deal. He left for the Magic. He was still like an impact player, even though yeah. like I'm sure they'll get into it now because this is going to be the timeline where Jordan leaves. And it's that gap where he's playing baseball and they don't re-sign Horace Grant and the Bulls get worse because you, you lose right. Horace Grant and your front line is like Luke Longley, Bill Wennington, you know, like just, you know, not bad players, but not guys that are going to like really right the ship. And you got worse because you didn't re-sign Horace Grant. You should have re-signed Horace Grant. Yeah. I remember back then everyone was mad at Horace Grant when – I don't. I think the Bulls made him an offer. He was going to take it. There was some screw up with the agent, and then the Bulls freaked out and said, "Well, fine, we're not signing you." And he went wow. to the Magic. So I, that's kind of how I remember it because it was a pretty big, shocking thing back then that Horace Grant was leaving the Chicago Bulls. But I, I'm glad that they've been giving him his due too because he was a big part of that. Yeah. He was arguably. I think they'll get to this because the 72 and 10 Bulls team is not their most entertaining team yeah. or like remembered by a lot of people as their best team. Cause I think their best team probably includes Horace Grant. Well, Wilbon said he thinks the 92 team. Yeah. Like he said best. that you read around on some stuff, how things yeah. are recanted. If you go on sports illustrated, like they talk about this on Bill Simmons podcast, you can go on sports illustrated and find like all these archive stories. So if you go back to this era and read about these teams and what people were saying, it was different. 
It, yeah. It's there's a very different vibe in the media than we might remember from our kind of our memories that we take with us. And a big part of that was the Bulls were really, really good when they had Horace Grant. Well, I think it's it's probably. And they'll they'll dive into this, I'm sure. But it, it's I think it's really easy to just assume 72 and 10, you win the championship. That's by default have. their best team. But it's going to be really cool to see how they break down each one. Um, yeah, I'm really I'm I'm really psyched because I, I assume in the next one they'll they'll talk about the retirement and then really get into as there's only four episodes to go. I think they have to start getting into that playoffs of that final season. So I'm psyched for it, man. And uh, yeah, I'm sure next week we'll have plenty more shit to talk about. Do you think, I mean, one of the last things we'll probably, we can probably go into it and they're kind of interconnected. So the MJ fame we talked about, but now you're getting into the gambling and how his fame right. starts to play a role in how people perceive him. Because at this point he's been pretty pristine and, you know, good with the media Okay, he's he's ultra competitive, but you can still accept that. And then the gambling stuff starts to, to rear his head. And it's interesting to look at from a, like the 2020 perspective of a guy goes to Atlantic City and gambles with his father. And this is like, I think we're going to impeach Michael Jordan as the best basketball player of our time. It's like, again... I'm looking at this through Michael Jordan colored glasses where he does the explanation. I'm like, see, he huh? gets it. You know, like, to go. Yeah. I mean, what was he supposed to do? Say no to his dad. And it's like, yeah, so you are biased with this. Totally. I do still kind of feel like no league rules were broken. No team yeah. rules were broken. He still showed up to do his job. It didn't get into the result that they wanted. And it kind of was going to go one of two ways. He shows up and does his job and they win. And everyone just goes back to the immediate stuff. Michael Jordan's not human. He's a beast. Yeah. If he loses, it's like, well, he's gambling and take it serious. What the hell? And it's like, exactly. I, you know, it's going to be one of the two. So what do you think? Where, what are you looking forward to? Or what are you curious about in the next episodes where they're going to have to get into this deeper? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious just in the sense of to what degree he was doing it, because I, I'm the same that I've completely got the MJ goggles on now where I'm like, oh, how could he not go golfing with that one convict guy? It would be immoral if he didn't. But um, hey, at the end of the day, when, yeah. yeah, exactly. When when they say it, though, it's yeah, he didn't violate laws. And he's like, I don't have a gambling addiction. I have like a competitive problem, a competition problem. And you really see it firsthand when he's throwing quarters with Joe Exotic in the locker room and or outside the locker room. But yeah, I mean, I, I get why people would be turned off by that, sure. especially back then, because you, you're you, you get this image pushed to you of the perfect, not just perfect player, but the perfect man and then find out, oh, he's flawed. And oh, that's kind of weird. And the night of playoffs, you're over in Atlantic City till 230. I get why people are a little bit like, all right, that's that's a little bit weird. But it also just further hits home that. Even when he's out getting sauce gambling till 2.30, they lose that game, then comes back and just busts everyone's ass. And it also reflected on such a different era of when they're interviewing Paxson, when they come back and, and beat the Knicks, of uh, he's like, yeah, we've been a team for a really, really long time. And if you come after one of our guys, like we got to go to bat for him. And 
that was kind of a cool part of it. I, I forgot, like, man, th- this wasn't just a flash in the pan team of they were together for two years and no. and then blew it up. Like, that was really a team in, like, the truest sense. So even though it's not the most wholesome content, if he's a like, um, debatable gambling addict, the other aspects that it brought out, if that makes any sense, I was like, eh. It's just an interesting part of the story. If it goes further south or goes a little more haywire, I'm really curious to see what that would look like mm-hmm. based off what I – if I haven't heard it or read it already. But I'm glad – most of all, I'm just glad that they did talk about it at that extent. And they gave Mike a chance to defend himself, but it also had its his critics because there was a certain part of me worried – with the creative control he had, it's like, are they even going to dive into this? Are they just going to leave it as he's, he's this demigod that's infallible. You know what I mean? I do. I think in order to do it justice, you're going to, they have to take it further because there is more to this. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, by all accounts, um, he winds up owing a lot of weird people money. Yeah. Um, and he gets into it with some strange, and this is the funny thing. Like you've seen Molly's game, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they talk about this in, in the movie and they talk about this in a lot of other stuff. When you just read about gambling, rock stars, athletes, politicians, upstarts, these dudes love to sit at the table with big time poker players, big time gamblers. And if you're a big time gambler, or if you're some dude who's, you know, more along the lines of a shark. I'm not going to sit with Michael Jordan. I'm not yeah. going to try and take his money. This guy's got an unlimited bankroll. So, I mean, but they talk about this, you know, using Molly game, Molly's game as the example. This is what this crowd is like. They sit, they gamble. It's all competitive. They like being around other guys that are extremely competitive and are a little bit crazy. This is not anything new. And it's for sure. It's not anything that's not going on right now. So exactly. I think if this is going to be the big shot at MJ's character, it's hard for me not to sit there and be like, "Uh uh-huh. Who cares? Yeah, no, totally. It's his money. And if he doesn't do anything illegal and we'll see where this goes from here. Yeah. But when we rush to defend dudes who, have done a whole heck of a lot of weirder things than this, exactly. like some spousal things and some, uh, you know, some real ugly things to other people, yeah. you know, athletes and kids, athletes and women. Totally. And then how we rush to be like, well, it's a hyper aggressive community and those yeah. kind of things. It's okay. So if a dude's out playing cards, that's bad. Right. And if a dude's out gambling his money, that's his, that's bad. Okay. All right, fine. For the early 90s, maybe, because they, they've talked about this, too. This is the rise of tabloid media and how this was like dirt page stuff. And, you know, Michael Jordan gambles $50,000 away and is seen with Paula Abdul. So it's like, <laughs> you know, like there's going to be these things where it's just because the era is getting trashier with the media. Right. I'll be curious where it goes up from here. And I think um, I'm kind of steadfast. It's like if Michael Jordan didn't outside of Michael Jordan, like, I don't know, chasing children down the street with a machine gun. Like I'm going to be pretty much on Michael's side. So I think uh, I agree, man. I'll, I'll be curious to see how they frame it. Yeah, me too. I, 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 I'm based off these last 
two episodes. I think if nothing else, it's going to be framed honestly, though. And I I appreciate that because, yeah, I'm honestly, my 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 takeaway from it was like, all right, dude, gamble. But he's so fucking competitive. Like when he's going up to Paxson and wanting to play blackjack for a dollar just so he can say he beat him and has his money in his pocket. I'm like, that's just cool. I don't yeah, care. How, how annoying is that guy? Like the dude coming oh. from the back, <laughs> the back of the plane. It's like, yeah, I want your money too. It'd be like, man, just pick a side of the plane and piss off. You know, like if it wasn't Michael, if it was like Randy Brown on the team, you wouldn't say like, Randy, get out of here, man. Leave us alone. What's Michael? What are you supposed to say? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, how annoying is that, dude? Like, just leave me alone, guy. I know. Like, you're better than me at everything. You have more money than me at everything. You don't need to establish you need your to dominance like every yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to pay for a cab to get home. You know, I don't need you to be more wealthy. Uh, no, yeah. you're right, man. I'm, I'm psyched to see how that how they frame it. And now that we're like really in the thick of it, I think episode seven and eight are going to be pretty awesome. So Monday can't come fast enough. Yeah, no kidding. It's only Wednesday. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's probably a good time to wrap it up. Uh, good shit, and I'm looking forward to it next week. Should be fun. All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks a lot for listening to this week's Talking That Trash. Hope you enjoyed it. Steve and I will be back next week where we talk about episode seven and eight as The Last Dance is coming to its uh, finale. And looking forward to it. See you then. Have a good one.